We stream live on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platforms. Marketing Demystified, the podcast, is presented to you by GrowGetter, your partner in growth marketing. And here's today's episode. Hello, everyone. Are you ready to be inspired, informed, and empowered with actionable tips to transform your marketing game? You are in the right place. Welcome to Marketing Demystified. I'm your host, Jen Mancusi, CEO and co-founder of GrowGetter, your growth marketing partner. Now, relationships matter when driving businesses forward, and one way to nurture relationships is through online conversations. But what are the best strategies to have relevant and authentic online conversations with customers and potential customers? To discuss this topic, I'm joined by Brooke Sellis, founder and CEO of B Squared Media and an expert in online conversations. Welcome to the show, Brooke. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Very excited to have this conversation about conversations. We'll have a little online conversation about other online conversations and see where that takes us. I love that. Exactly. It's very meta, but I promise it'll make sense by the time we're done. Totally. Totally. Um, so let's kick it off. Let's When we say online conversations, what falls into that category? Is what we're doing now, does that fall into the online conversation category? Definitely. I think it's just a way of kind of like defining the channel, right? So if it's online, if it happens in a digital channel like this live stream or social media or a chatbot on your website, I would call that an online conversation, right? It's not happening in real life, quote unquote, where somebody's in front of you and you can see them, uh, touch them if you wanted to. It's just an, an, a way to describe the medium, which is through digital media. Yeah, that makes sense. And it sounds like, you know, there's like different formats, right? This is a actual live conversation where we're communicating back and forth in real time, but a chatbot is written communication or maybe there's automated, like what are, I, I guess, what are some of the different formats then too? Cause this could kind of be exponential, right? It could be. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of times on a website, you might be chatting with the bot, right? Which is obviously not a human. It's AI powered. It works off of conversational workflows or generative AI as we've all been playing with. Hopefully you've been playing with it. It's really cool. Um, but it can also happen on social media, right? More and more people are using social media as a support channel. I'm sure you've seen this, meaning for the most part, more and more people are going to social media to complain, right? About a service or a product, but it's not always complaints or support conversation. Um, some people have live chat on their website websites. So this is where you're actually chatting with someone in usually customer support or service who's on the other side of that keyboard typing with you, kind of answering your questions. Um, but then of course you could get on a meeting like this. And I think, you know, <laughs> we're going to even expand into bigger areas of online conversation because I think what will be coming, and I wrote about this in our soon to be released state of social care report, you will be able to get on live with like, let's say a plumber, if you're having a very basic issue where they can kind of walk you through a, a AI or VR AR and show you how to fix that problem. So I think the online conversation world is rapidly expanding with AR, VR and artificial intelligence. And this is why it's so important to kind of get good now at the places that you already have a presence so then you can prepare for what's coming. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like some like an expert kind of getting on and being able to share 
how to do certain things or respond to service or complaints or things like that. I've seen some really interesting, um, you mentioned generative AI. It's not always generative AI. Sometimes it's bots, but mm-hmm. some really interesting applications in like interviewing and especially in our world, a lot of our audience here and our, our clients that we work with are in the market research space. And there's a lot of like live conversations that used to be done with a human that are now Mm -hmm. the bots are even actually better at digging deeper on some of these questions because they're not afraid to ask why 17 times in a row root cause um so yeah there's some really interesting applications that keep emerging and it's it's important to stay on top of all those new developments Definitely. I mean, I think as, you know, generations switch over and take place from one another, we're just going to see the growing use of digital channels to have conversations. Whether people want to talk to a bot or not is really like a hyper-personalization question. You know, there is some research by generation, um, you know, kind of calling out which digital channels they would prefer to use. But at the end of the day, it really does come down to your personal choice. So I think, you know, Hyper-personalization is another area where brands will want to get smart. That's going to tell you which of your customers want to converse with you on which platforms. You know, even though I'm Gen X, I may very well, and I am honestly, be fine with talking to you through social media because that's what I do for my day job, right? So um, I'm not necessarily an email person. I'm more of a social person, but that's my preference. Someone else who is also Gen X could have a very different preference. So I think understanding channel of choice, as we call it, by customer sounds hard, but it's really important in the upcoming months and years. Yeah. And I feel like also like there's been a lot of conversation in the last several years as more research has come out about Gen Z, more specifically about the expectation of like consistent experiences across digital and live channels. Yeah. And that's something like really specific to that generation. But I think to your point, even more hyper-personalization to the individual of like, you have to make sure you're providing consistent experiences in person and online, but that expectation varies based on who it is that you're talking to. So that's so critical to understand like the, the channels where you're reaching the right people. I mean, none of this is like (laughs) new stuff, right? This is marketing basics, understand your audience and meet them where they are, but it's just, it always changing the application of that concept. Right. Right. I mean, channel of choice, I think is the biggest X factor there, right? Because we keep getting all of these new digital channels and you know, there might be some people who prefer to reach out to you on TikTok and you don't have a TikTok presence. Is it worth going and creating a TikTok presence, right? Even though you have one customer that's reaching out to you on that channel for support. So I think, again, going back to hyper-personalization, part of knowing that is knowing the channel of choice by customer. And again, I'm not saying this is easy, but it's something we should be considering as we put together our strategies and update strategies for understanding audience and then also understanding channel of choice by customer. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So as we, you know, as you mentioned, like some of these conversations actually happen with a human being, some happen with like a pre-programmed bot. Sometimes there's something in between, which is more generative and more reactive. But what are some best practices for businesses to actually build authentic connections and foster engagement through online conversations, even when there isn't always maybe a human on the other side? 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I think, you know, first and foremost, if we're talking about bots, you need to know what your frequently asked questions are, right? These are the easy layup questions that really almost any business has. So are you open today? Where are you located? What are your hours? Um, if you're a retail location, you know, do you, what sizes do you carry? Do you carry shoes in this size? Understanding what some of those frequently asked questions are allow you to become more efficient with, with the human conversations because the bot can answer those FAQs 100% uh, right. So right all the time with 100% accuracy and they can do it 24-7, right? They never need a break. They never have to eat. All of those wonderful things, which then should allow you to free up time for human agents who can get into those uh, conversations that might be a little more difficult or tricky to answer. Um, so for instance, we work with a large tech brand. They have 12 different product lines. And um, we don't use a bot beyond the very basic FAQs because the conversations that we end up happening, having, I'm sorry, on social channels are complex, right? It's It would be a little bit frustrating for a bot to come through. And ultimately, what we found is when their particular customer comes through to ask these questions, they're already frustrated, right? Because they're having a tech issue. So it's not the best time to have a bot take over. They really need that handholding and that human empathy and understanding to go along with that conversation. So to your point about human conversations, I, I think the first thing is just to look. You would be surprised at how many brands just don't even understand what, what types of conversations are happening on their social media channels. So I would, if I were you and I was just starting out, I would go out to all of my social channels and create an audit. You know, how many channels are happening each day, each week, each month on each of our channels? And then I would look at the types of conversations that people are having. Are they support? right? They've already bought something and they're complaining or they need help or whatever it may be. They need a refund. They need to return something. Or is it acquisition or sales support? Meaning they're in that buying moment and they're asking you questions about your product or your service that will help them make a purchase decision. Yeah. That's such a critical distinction between like, what are people wanting to have a conversation with you about? Because a lot of times it's the, the automation is optimized for what the business wants, which is, you know, you're thinking that people are there to buy from you and that's what it's set up to do. And when somebody is showing up there with a service challenge and that need isn't getting met, like, you know, that's a that's a big disconnect. And also, I think what you said about, um, you know, kind of automating the FAQs and then leveraging humans for the more complex conversations that need to be have had is really important. But I mean, this might be a really tactical question, but how do you even think about the routing for that? Because I've just, as a consumer, <laughs> had so many experiences where I'm like, like representative, representative, right? Like, yeah, I, it's frustrating. I know your bot's not going to solve my problem because it's, I've already decided it's too complex and some systems aren't set up to do that well. So how do you recommend like routing people? How quickly, like how long do you give the bot to decide it needs to turn over to a human? Yeah. I mean, I think every bot, whether it's just one of those like basic conversational workflow bots, which essentially is not generative AI, it, it, it answers questions based on a, what we call a workflow. Mm -hmm. And so we put in keyword phrases. When the bot sees that keyword phrase, it knows what response to deliver. So um, no matter 
again, if we're talking about that basic bot or generative AI, which can come up with its own answers, I would say make sure you always have a human option on your menu of options. You know, oftentimes you'll go into a bot and it'll have a menu like, you know, what are you trying to do? Make sure you always have a human option in that menu. And then again, like you were saying in your example, just if somebody's saying representative, you need to have the ability to route them with a human right then and there. Or I get that some businesses, you know, can't do this have a response ready to go that says, you know, our humans are sleeping right now. It's 12 a.m. And unfortunately, ugh, they're so annoying. They have to sleep, eat, and do other things, you know. So we'll have someone reach back out to you tomorrow during business hours or the next business day during business hours. Whatever you can do, make sure that you note that within how long you'll get back or what the response time should be or the expected response time should be. And then make sure you actually do what you say. Um, so if it's, you know, the next business day within business hours and you reach out two days later, that's not going to work. You might as well change it to say within the next two business days within business hours. Yeah, that's, those are great tips. That's, that's super helpful. Um, so now thinking about like, the purpose of actually driving business value through online conversations, like what types of conversations are actually driving the most value? Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. It's those, it's those path to purchase questions or, you know, sales support questions. So when I was writing my book, Conversations That Connect, a couple of years ago, uh, as I was in the research phase, I, I went to all of our customer care clients and I said, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like how much of the social chatter do you think, you know, based on all of the channels that you have, social media channels that you have, how much of it do you think is retention, meaning support, right? They've already, they're already a customer. They're already asking a support question. And what, how much of it do you think is sales support or acquisition, you know, like in that buying moment? And across the board, they all said zero to 5% of the conversation would be acquisition. But when we went through and started to label and audit all of their channels, what we found was that not a single one of them had less than 20% acquisition happening on their social channels, which is shocking. And so what that meant was they didn't know these conversations were happening. They weren't addressing these, you know, uh, potential sales conversations. They weren't able, you know, tagging them as such, which helps quantify what's happening out there on social. If you need budget for, you know, a customer care team or an internal customer care agent, whatever it may be. So I think starting with that little audit that I just kind of described earlier is a great place to go because I think you'd be surprised at how much acquisition chatter there is. That tech brand that I mentioned has four out of the 12 product lines that have anywhere from 60 to 80% acquisition chatter month over month. So think about that. That's money sitting on the table. And honestly, the, the fastest brand to reply, because as consumers, we know that I'm asking your brand that question, but I'm also asking your other top three competitors that question. And what we see is usually the first to reply with a helpful answer is the one who gets the business. Oh, a hundred percent. That's that's like across the board. No matter what, you're you're never just reaching out to one company. I mean, rarely, right? And and it right. is the you know whoever gets in touch the fastest because again, as a consumer, like if you don't reach me when I'm thinking about buying the thing, I've moved on to something else a day later or several hours later. So even if there is a response within, let's say, three four hours. I most likely moved on to something else in my day. Everybody's so busy and context shifting and so important to have that 
that immediate response. But it's it's so interesting to me that such a high percentage of these conversations are happening about sales and acquisition without anybody even knowing about it. Right. And so like a lot of people will say, well, that doesn't apply to me because, you know, my product is more money. It, it always comes down to price for my product. And I tell the story as an anecdote, but when my husband and I bought our first home together, we sent a letter of intent with the offer. We were the first offer in, but not the highest offer. And they chose us because they literally, we, we talked to the agents and they said it was because we were first and because of our intent letter. So I think that gives a great example. We're not just talking about a $5 product. That was a home, you know, <laughs> that was much more expensive than a, in most products or services that we that we tend to buy, but because we were first and because we were so helpful with that letter of intent, we painted that picture. So if you're responding first with an extremely helpful answer, not trying to sell necessarily, but with an extremely helpful answer, you should be the first one to get the purchase or the, or the customer. Sure. And why do you think these things tend to fall through the cracks? Like, is it is it like a lack of ownership? Like where should the, the onus sit in, in a company? Like what, <laughs> what, decision, <laughs> what role is responsible mm -hmm. for making sure this is all really tight? Is there like, is it an ops role? Is it a marketing role? Like, what do you think? You're hitting the nail on the head, Jen, because there is like a who owns this argument that we see happening in a lot of companies. So there's two factors. There's the, there's the who owns this factor. And then there's the inherent mismatch of employees, right? Employees at companies, Companies typically work Monday through Friday, nine to five. They don't work after hours, holidays, and weekends, which, by the way, is when most people come to social to complain because they are not at work. Um, but I think from the who owns this perspective, it's everyone's job. You know, if I had my way, <laughs> every company and every employee within that company or that brand would take on the mindset of, customer experience is everyone's job. And the companies who we work with who do have that kind of mantra or mindset we find are much more successful. Um, but ultimately, no matter who owns it, somebody needs to own it. Typically, it's like marketing or a social media team. But if you don't have the resources internally to meet the demand of social, which is, you know, 24-7, and that's difficult, um, then consider doing a hybrid approach, which is where you outsource some of it to a, a company like B Squared Media. And we plug in and we help you, you know, build out all of these cool processes and things and make sure that you're answering your customers or potential customers you know, 365 days a year so that you're never missing out on this opportunity to retain and or get new, acquire new customers. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, I mean, it's definitely a resource challenge, but there's so much to be left on the table if not done properly. Yeah. And I think that like really that I totally agree with you. Customer experience needs to be everyone's job and everyone's focus. And I think that's where sometimes things do slip through the cracks because you kind of also need one person to say, Brooke, I need you to respond to this. Yeah. <laughs> that, right. Yeah. And brand, listen, you don't have to outsource. Brands are getting it done. I had, I was, I was at an event in New York city around this time last year. So about a year ago. Yeah. And I spoke to a, a, a woman who works at um, Chipotle and Chipotle has a team of internal people who they're set up to work weekends. You know, they they take uh, they rotate shifts and things like that. But it's a small team, and they just set it up 
to make sure that somebody's there to answer. You know, they, they made it happen because as Chipotle and, you know, fast food brands and food brands in particular, your consumers are asking questions literally 24-7 about your products and services or complaining. And they just knew that they needed to meet that demand on that channel of choice at that time that, it, you know, as immediately as they could. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, aside from maybe things slipping through the cracks or, or things getting missed or that lack of understanding of the types of conversations, um, like what are some of the, the mistakes that companies are commonly making when they're actually trying to engage in these conversations and drive business? Like where does that, where does that part um, struggle? Mm -hmm. I think to your point earlier, Jen, it, it, it's always about the sell to, if you're the brand, right? It's always about like, oh, let's close this customer. But I really think it's more of a consultative selling role. Uh, and if you know anything about consultative selling, it's really just listening first and really listening well, not just listening to respond, but actively listening for those pain points. And then it's providing a solution, whether it's your solution or not, based on those pain points that you actively listened to. And if your product or service meets those pain points, all of them, not just one out of three or whatever it is, then you can try to make the sale. Um, so it would look something like this in the real world. Um, let's say, you know, Jen comes to that tech brand's uh, Twitter page and says, um, hey, you know, I'm wondering if this printer model is, is uh, compatible with Alexa. And the brand would come through and be like, hey, Jen, yes, actually, it is compatible with Alexa. Here's a video on how that works. Let us know if that's helpful. Jen comes back and says, yeah, that was really helpful. Thank you. And they say, oh, you're so welcome. And Jen, if you buy this printer within the next seven days using this promo code, we'll send you a free ink pack along with the printer. Now, if Jen use that, uses that promo code, guess what? You now have attribution. You get to tag that new revenue and that new customer to organic social media or social care or whatever you call it within your organization. And once you start quantifying the revenue that's happening on social channels, that your stakeholders start to pay attention and give you more budget for those channels. So, you know, it's just following a process um, to, you know, attribute everything properly, help people in a consultative selling kind of way, not always selling, um, but when it's needed, and then being able to attribute that so that you can quantify what you're able to do through social media and those online conversations. You are really speaking my language. <laughs> it's like, these are the two things I believe in the most as a marketer, really for any channel. Like it's about relationship and attribution. Like yeah. there is almost never a case, especially like, you know, we kind of operate in the B2B space, a lot mm -hmm. of like longer sales cycles, higher price tags. So nobody is ever visiting your website for the very first time and making a purchase online. That just right. doesn't exist. Right. Like maybe in the consumer side, you see an ad on Instagram. I'm guilty, right? You buy it right away. <laughs> but not typically in a B2B sale and especially not like a SaaS subscription type sale. Mm -hmm. um, so it's so important to nurture a relationship with people that are in your funnel. And if somebody's coming and asking questions, it's not, it's the moment to listen. It's the moment to be useful and be helpful and, and provide solutions, but it's not like, 
there's no hard selling anymore, right? Like it's just, we don't live Mm -hmm. in that world anymore. And attribution is critical. It's the only way we know if marketing is working because marketing is so different today than it was a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, and Mm -hmm. it's going to be different tomorrow. So having that foundation of tracking the results of everything you do is the only way that you can have a smart strategy. And I think that's what you're saying. It applies for online conversation oh, too and organic. Absolutely. And if you want the advanced version of that, you could take that data, right? Those That raw conversation. And then because you know who's closing, right? Closed one data, if you're, if we're, if we're yes. <laughs> talking sales speak, and you can feed that into AI if you're allowed, right? I always make that like little caveat. You have to be allowed to use AI or have your own AI. But you could take all of those data sets, and if you have that closed one or closed lost data, did they use the promo code and buy or did, did they not? You can start to ask AI things like, hey, show me gaps or patterns and trends with all of this conversational data. This is a tool that we're actually building right now for B Squared Media as a proprietary tool. But ultimately, what we hope this tool will do through AI is to say things like, when you when someone asks this way and you answer with these words and this promo code you have a 10x 10x higher chance of of closing the deal mm-hmm. right because then we're able to take all this customer data or voice of customer data and apply it not just on social but with all of our sales and marketing messages does that make sense? Like it's it's really powerful to have these conversations because they can do so much more than just perpetuate more online conversations. They can give you really valuable data across the business and across really any department. Yeah. And and that type of data is so like, that's so exciting, right? You could never track that in a world where we're having all of our meetings in person and, you know, we're, we're signing contracts on napkins and bars. Like you just, would never have that that data. So the fact that things are so much more digital and so much more virtual and AI driven than ever before, that's the, you know, as much as you you lose some connection there, you gain yeah. in so much intelligence and and if it's used properly can really um, completely change your strategy, which is amazing. Yeah, I think, you know, invest in the AI for the data, but keep the conversation human is what Mm -hmm. I would say. I love that. That's such a great tip. Um, Now, how how important do you think it is for, I mean, we touched on this briefly, like customer experience should be everyone's job, right? But how important is it for like leaders of businesses and executives and the C-suite to actually like on the ground participate in these conversations themselves? Yeah. Well, I think if we look at the research, right, there's so much uh, research out there that shows when the CEO or somebody from the C-suite gets involved with some of these online conversations, for the most part, as long as they're, you know, keeping their nose clean, um, they these reports and this research shows that there is an uptick in, you know, people are people perceiving the brand as a good, is a good brand, people following the brand, people engaging with the brand. So I think that's one factor. I think another factor is we still don't talk to our customers enough. You know, 
my job essentially is 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 like a, a customer experience consultant, but through digital mediums, mostly social media. And I'll ask clients all the time, like, when's the last time you've talked to your customers? And inevitably, I mostly hear it's been a long time. And they'll say, when I say why, they'll give excuses like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's hard to go visit people in person or I don't have time to pick up the phone. But I really feel like any executive or stakeholder can and should look at at least these online conversations, right? They may not have to get involved. They can do it in a more passive way, which may kind of get them over the hump of actually doing it. But even from a passive look at these raw conversations or maybe some of that closed one, closed loss data, when you can quantify what's happening with either retention or acquisition through digital channels, get that stakeholder involved, and then also paint the story of, you know, and, and Jen bought from us because we showed her that video and gave her the promo for the free ink package. You know, that's storytelling on the back end with data that I think helps with the stakeholders in C-suite. Yeah, totally. And I, and I think too, like there's decisions that are made directly from those conversations and from that data. And I think there's also decisions that are made indirectly just mm. based on the fact that you're more ingrained in the customer, like a, a business that's truly customer centric, if the CEO is either having those customer conversations or reading them or listening to them on a daily basis is just like immersed in the customer, mm -hmm. then every decision that they make is benefiting from hearing customer stories or, or challenges or requests on a daily basis. So, you know, there's some things where it's like, oh, we have this data we want to see close loss, close one. Let's make a decision about what video to make next, right? Yeah. That's a very direct correlation with doing that analysis. But just the nature of looking at it regularly, it's like, you know. It's important. Yeah. Well, and I think also we tend to, as marketers, want to like uplift all of the good positive data that we have. But I would say, you know, from a conversational standpoint, Start with the negative. The negative is really where you have the only catalyst for change. If everybody that was, you know, speaking of your brand or speaking to your brand on social media um, had something positive to say, everybody's out of a job. We have nothing left to do, right? Just to churn out this product and keep moving forward. But because people come to social to complain and because you have the power, the stakeholders, the C-suite, to make that change. So if you constantly hear negative um, you know, conversation on social about your checkout function or your cart function, you have the power to go fix that. And then what's even better is going out and saying, we heard what you said because we were actively listening and we solved this by doing X people will love you for it because how many brands are out there really truly listening to what they their customers want and then listening to those pain points and making changes based on those pain points? Very few. So you're talking about a really easy way to differ differentiate your brand from other brands, but also just to make your customers more, more loyal, right? By saying like, we listened, we knew you didn't like it, so we fixed it. That's mm -hmm. it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I think that's such a good tip. It is hard to look at the negative stuff, but if you can fix it, it's like the gold yeah. standard. I heard somebody say that to me years ago about journey mapping. Like you should actually find the friction point and journey yes. map the friction. Don't journey map the 
yes outcome right if you can find the path to that where it all falls apart then you can actually fix it um which i just thought was brilliant at the time it really stuck with me yeah it makes so much sense you know when i hear people talk about cx oftentimes they explain customer experience as like rolling out the red carpet for every single customer and i don't know about you but that was stressing me out right when people describe it that way i'm like how on earth do you scale rolling out the red carpet for every customer? So I changed my mindset. And for me, and in the book, I call that, that those friction points potholes in the digital customer journey. And if we can fix those potholes on the path to purchase and make it you know, two clicks easier to make that purchase or whatever that outcome to the pain point or solution to the pain point is, that's what customer experience means to me. It's making that path to purchase shorter, easier and the best, you know, the best delivery of it that you can have it be. For sure. Yeah. I love that description of them as potholes. That's such an easy, you know, visual to We've kind of- We've all driven over potholes. Well, I think most of us have, and they're terrible. Just fix it. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. Some are easier to fix than others, right? True. And some are more damaging than others. It's such a great analogy. <laughs> so now what, what sort of like technologies or platforms or maybe things that are emerging are showing the most promise for businesses to drive uh, value and growth through online conversations? Yeah, I think, you know, obvi the obvious answer here here is artificial intelligence. And, and specifically, uh, when I'm talking about, you know, taking the data and doing something really important with it or making solutions with it or making change with it, I think that predictive um, AI, so predictive modeling, like we kind of talked about with the closed one, closed lost, using predictive AI to help you understand things that it would take a, a research team, you know, years to understand. The example that I give and that comes from one of the tools that we use is a company wanted to understand why employees left, left the company. And, you know, they all thought, which I think makes a lot of common sense, that it had to do with title or, and or salary. And when they put this uh, data set into the, the modeling predictive AI software, what they actually found was there was a direct correlation between the number of training hours an employee had received and their chances to stay with the company. So employees that had received 15 hours or more of training were like 80% more likely to stay with the company. That's something they didn't know. It's something, again, that would, yes, you could have had a team of research people on that, but I think it would have taken a very long time for those researchers to come to that conclusion. So I think, you know, using the power of AI in analytics is what every company should be looking at AI to do at this point in time. Yeah, I, I totally agree. There's such a there's such an opportunity there. And I think a lot of the analytics tools that have been around for a long time are changing just with, you know, cookie policies changing and privacy laws changing. So yeah. it's now's the time to start transitioning and start using some of the new technology that's out there. And yeah. and as the old technology becomes less valuable, um, I guess that's that's yeah. kind of the space where we're in a huge transition from a data perspective when it comes to marketing analytics. Well, and you bring up a great point with third-party cookies. You know, the the tracking information that a lot of brands use to you know retarget and get new customers. Most advertisers, if you're running ads, 
and you're nine times out of 10, I can confidently say without even looking at your internal analytics that you, most of your ads, uh, money, when most of your like revenue is coming from retargeting. Right. But now that those third party cookies are going away, we, you, we have to think about first party data, data that we own, that the company owns, right? When someone subscribes to your newsletter, that's first party data. You own the right to market to that person. Well, what's, how do we get more first party information? online conversations. The key to first party data is first party relationships. So I think the brands that understand the power of these online conversations and all of that data that they can collect from people is going to be vastly important when, you know, third party cookies are completely removed from the, from the menu of options that we have as marketers. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That first party data is so critical. Um, now, as you're talking about some of these like capabilities, are there? Do you have any favorite platforms or emerging platforms we should be looking out for? Yeah. So the tool that I mentioned for predictive analytics is called. I'm probably butchering the name, but it's called Accio A K K I O. So just look up. You can Google Accio AI, and that is the predictive analytics tool. I, again, I have to say, you know, the big caveat or disclaimer here is like. If you're on the marketing team and you're working for a company, don't go just download that and start entering in sensitive client data. Make sure you understand like what the rules and regulations are around AI with your company. And if you don't have any yet, I still think it's really important to find out what they are because this tool is a, is a closed source tool, meaning it doesn't share the data you share with it out into, you know, into other tools like ChatGPT or open source tools. But still, I think you have to be very, very careful about the information you share through AI. So first, make sure you understand that you have permission from your company. Second, make sure you have permission from your customers or make sure that any kind of identifiers about those customers are scrubbed from that list. And then once you know those two things are absolutely crystal clear, you're 100% sure, then you could go use a really cool, cool tool like Accio. That's good. Good recommendations. I know a lot of companies are in the process now of creating these yeah. policies. And so there's so many tools out there. It's important to read the terms and conditions and mm -hmm. just make sure that you're being responsible with data. That's a that's good, good suggestions. Yeah, 100 percent. I think we're all scrambling, but it's a little just, bit. you know, for, as marketers, we want to make sure we're following like privacy guidelines, you know, so. Yeah, 100%. This is baseline, right? We don't want to be feeding any proprietary data into the internet. So. Oh, no, please don't. <laughs> let's, let's be careful about that. Um, well, thank you so much. This is such a great online conversation and um, so good to like kind of hear about how people can optimize and, and audit and use the data from these conversations to do better business. So thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me and allowing other people to hear what I think is a really important conversation to have. Absolutely. Thanks everybody for tuning in today. I'll be back with another episode in a couple weeks where I'm chatting with Asia Orion.